Hey, everyone. Good to see y'all. Everyone survived the rain yesterday. I was at a soccer match at 2.45 p.m., 3 p.m. when the downpour happened. I was like this, under an umbrella. I'll demonstrate for this side as well. <laughs> Crouched down to avoid every raindrop possible. Um, that was fun. All right, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Uh, raise your hand if you know what the phrase the Great Commission refers to in the Christian tradition. Raise your hand if you know what the Great Commission refers to. Keep it up. I want to see. Oh, 60% of the room? Okay. Don't feel bad if you don't know. You've been spared from some things. Yeah, so, you know, we come from a lot of diverse Christian traditions here at Sanctuary and that this would be one box that some people can check and others don't, and we have lots of those boxes here at Sanctuary. Um, last week, Aidy mentioned the Great Commission, that phrase she talked about it just briefly, and um, so I, th- I thought we could have fun with it today, um, that's my hope. And I, I mentioned it to a group of people the other day, the Great Commission, and one of the gentlemen hadn't heard of it, and he said, well, I'm in sales. <laughs> and so I think of money, and I was like, that's good, I like that. Um, here it is, the Great Commission refers to Jesus' final words to his disciples in the book of Matthew, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He commissions his disciples, to make more disciples. So this phrase, the Great Commission, uh, it doesn't appear in the Bible, but it was made popular by a 19th century Protestant missionary named Hudson Taylor. Mr. Taylor was a missionary to China. Uh, He was pretty uh, effective. He was an effective leader, administrator. He also spoke several Chinese dialects very effectively, could preach in them. Uh, He even helped translate the Bible into several Chinese dialects. Uh, He became a very prominent figure within Protestant Christianity in the 19th century and sort of helped fan the flames of uh, renewed interest in Christian missions uh, within Protestantism anyway. And so Taylor, you know, when he, he talked about the Great Commission, it caught on, the idea of We are here to share Jesus with friends and with neighbors, even crossing cultures and continents to share the message of Jesus and make disciples. Uh, Now, when we think about the history of Christian missionary movements, it's a bit messy, There are some good examples, (laughs) and there are many poor examples. Uh, There are good examples of folks who really tried to embrace and embody the ways of Jesus. And then we can probably think of examples of Christians using violence, coercion, and exploitation uh, obviously not in line with the values of Jesus. So I'll just, I just want to give you two examples on both sides of this. Um, one is the Moravian Church. The Moravians were one of the oldest Protestant movements, so they started in the 15th century in what is today Czechoslovakia, excuse me, the Czech Republic. Um, and they, uh, so 100 years before Martin Luther, they were objecting to practices in the church. 
uh, which was the only church, the Roman Catholic Church, as we think of it today. And um, they started sending out missionaries all over the world, parts of Africa, the Caribbean, the American colonies. And um, here's an image of one of the leaders, one of the most famous leaders called von Zinzendorf is his name. This is an idealized representation picture, okay? It's not like a true portrait. Um, but you see all of the nations gathered around in the light of God beaming on von Zinzendorf as he shares the gospel message, and all the nations are there to listen to him. Um, but credit to the Moravians, because when they went, they made friends and earned the trust of the local indigenous people groups to whom they ministered, and often they made such good friends that the dominant culture where they were viewed them with suspicion and would sometimes cast the Moravians out of society because they had become one of them, right? So um, here's their slogan, by the way. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. That might be as good. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, that might be as good as it gets for missionary movements. Then there's the bad side. Christian missionaries often provided what one scholar called a moral alibi for the colonizing imperialistic forces, especially when we think about the last 500 years. European empires sought out to conquer and uh, impose their political and economic will all over the world. Christian priests accompanying the expansion conquest, and they had the goal of religious conversion, which served as a very poor mask for the more fundamental political and economic concerns. Here's a very famous painting of the soldiers praying before a cross uh, before the battle at Tenochtitlan, which is modern-day Mexico City. Can we ask, what are they praying for? Yeah, that they might kill the inhabitants of the land in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Activists going, we'll just cross a continent here. Uh, activist and writer Jomo Kenyatta summarized the experience in Africa. When the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. And when we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. There it is. So, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Christian missionary movements, everything in between, all of them can trace some of their influence to that great commission. The final words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and that's our scripture this morning. We're going to take a look at what Jesus says to his disciples, those words, and I want us to ask, you know, in light of its historical use and abuse, what does it mean for us, sanctuary? What does it mean for us today? And how are we to make sense of it? So, shall we? Let's. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. All right, so really quickly, this is the setting. They are in Galilee. The events of Jesus's arrest and death on the cross and resurrection all happen in neighboring Judea. So if we think about Iowa and Minnesota, the events of the last week of Jesus' life happen in Iowa, and they're all now north in Galilee, like they go to Minnesota. And Jesus meets them on a mountain in Galilee slash Minnesota because he directs them to go there. Mountains, I don't know, did you love that? 
Minnesota, the place. Okay. The uh, um, mountains in the Bible are places of revelation where God meets people and reveals God's self in ways to people. So Moses, most famously, went up a mountain and came back down with the Ten Commandments. Here is Jesus on a mountain with his 11 disciples. Now he's going to tell them something. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. A delightful detail. So honest. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is how Matthew ends the story. And it, it's pretty simple, in a sense. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go and make more disciples. And Jesus, you know, it's pretty simple. Like, he has been the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And it's good news. It's a gift. It's a gift that can be shared with anyone and everyone who might be willing to receive it. And so he tells the disciples, go and do it. From what we can tell, that's exactly what they did. They went out, they preached the good news of Jesus, and they made more disciples. And those earliest generations of Christians went on to make more disciples, and so on and so on. And every generation since has heard this same call, this invitation, to continue to reproduce the message and meaning of Jesus and to invite people to become Jesus' disciples, to follow his ways. Now, there are a couple aspects to this commission that um, we would hope (laughs) would mark and identify all those who would want to fulfill it. That hasn't always been the case, as we saw. But the first is that Jesus tells his disciples to teach everyone what I have commanded you. Teach everyone what I have commanded you, says Jesus. So I went through the book of Matthew, and I listed out every command from Jesus to his disciples. And I want to give you some of them. Um, There's not actually that many. Like when you look at it, there's probably like 20 and I pulled out 10 to 12 of them that are pretty representative. Okay, I'm going to go through these fast, so we'll just get a, a whirlwind sense of Jesus' commandments in the book of Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Follow me. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies. Do not worry. Do not judge. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
If anyone have become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You give them something to eat. This is a funny one I included. It happens, there's thousands of people listening to Jesus, and they all are hungry at the end of the day. And the disciples tell Jesus, hey, you should send them away. Like, tell them to go to Coral Ridge Food Court and get some food. And uh, Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. (laughs) Which is both a spiritual instruction and a, a play on economic justice, for sure. So, but we'll leave that aside for another time. You give them something to eat, he says. Um... Just a couple more. Do not be afraid. And finally, the summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commands that Jesus wishes his disciples would go and embody in the world and teach the next generation of disciples. Now let us imagine how might the history of Christian missions gone differently had it been marked by all the commandments of Jesus. What if people had gone out with that humble and gentle heart, with the call to not judge, with the call to love an enemy, Hmm. At a baseline, (laughs) I mean, just the baseline would be don't kill anyone. (laughs) I mean, it's horrifying, right? Like, just, you know, don't coerce, don't conquer, don't exploit, don't kill. Like, that would just be the baseline. But of course, there's so much more that Jesus would call us to if we really embraced every single one of those commands. Oh, that missions and missionaries had been marked by this gift, the gift of Jesus to the world, the generous abundance of God. You give them something to eat, go feed. Now, this brings us, though, to the second aspect of this which is that Jesus, perhaps unwisely, entrusts the message with the disciples (laughs) to carry out. Okay, now I'm laughing because it's kind of humorous when we think about the disciples, and we'll get that in, in a minute, but we have to think about this and realize Jesus sends out human beings who are commissioned, entrusted with fulfilling all that he taught and passing it on to the next generation. And we too are called and compelled to be part of this commission. Whew. And I hope you can appreciate the challenge of this. You know, we think about, okay, you're supposed to go and embody all the commandments of Jesus and give away what you have received. To frame this another way, um, I mean, think about this. Like, how, how could have Jesus done this? Like, if Jesus wanted the kingdom of God to be fulfilled in all the earth, like, it could just be direct revelation. God, theoretically, could just speak to every human being and just, boom, there it is. But instead, 
God sends a people group, a community. And he starts with the 11 disciples. So let's just do a little performance review of the disciples in the Gospels. And I have it for you. I've created a report card. (laughs) The good. They are willing to follow Jesus and be a disciple. They take some risks and they do things that Jesus did, like they preach and they heal some folks. Well done. The not so good. They frequently do not understand. They want to call down fire on the Samaritans when the Samaritans reject Jesus. There's a story. They go to a village that the Samaritans don't, you know, it's a people group, and they don't accept Jesus. And they're like, should we call down fire? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you shouldn't. They argue about who's the greatest, like they're 12-year-olds on the playground. They start a knife fight at Jesus' arrest. They flee and hide when the authorities take Jesus into custody, and they aren't even present at the crucifixion. These are the people Jesus has to work with. (laughs) I mean, we have to wonder, would it have gone better had Jesus chosen women as disciples? (laughs) Right? I mean, certainly the women perform much better in the final week, for sure. Like, they're present at the crucifixion. They're the first witnesses of the resurrection, and they're the first ones to tell. Like, they're the apostles. Oh, okay, I'm being playful, obviously. But for better or for worse, this is it. These are the best (laughs) that Jesus has to work with. And he sends them out, entrusting them to go and embody the kingdom of God. Go and teach everyone and make the next generation of disciples. Now, they certainly aren't perfect. They're not particularly qualified. But what makes them disciples is that they are simply willing. They want it. They want the good things that they hear Jesus talking about, that they've seen Jesus practice. And they aspire to put it into practice more and more. When they mess up, they'll acknowledge it and move on and again aspire to do better and better and better. That's it. Sanctuary, that's us. We today are a living embodiment of the Great Commission. We are both the fruit, and the next step. We are the fruit of the Great Commission. There have been people who have responded to this. And it's been a messy history, but we exist today because people heard this and they responded saying, we've got to share this with others and make disciples. Any faithful fulfillment of the Great Commission needs to include an honest assessment of the sins of the church, the ways we have failed, the ways that we have fallen short of the ways of Jesus and all of his commands. But it also can include an enthusiastic embrace of the gifts of God. All the ways we have experienced and tasted the goodness of God We are compelled to share those with others, anyone who would want it. 
And it is a gift. It's a gift that we give away. People are free to accept it or not. We honor their agency. We never coerce. And we aspire to come into the teachings of Jesus that he has given us. That is our mission. It's a little sobering when we think about it. You know, when I think about um, just, you know, my own track record, if you will, like, how well do I do at fulfilling that list of Jesus' commands? Like, yeah, like, I mess up. We all can see ways that we fall short. And so we can remember, though, the first commandment of Jesus is repent, change, do it differently. We are always learning, and that is it. That's all God asks of us. What makes us qualified is that we want it. We show up. We're saying, we appreciate this. We love the gifts that we experience in and through Jesus, in and through this community, in and through our shared experience of faith. And it's with that gift that we carry it out into the world, and we welcome anyone and anyone who would want to do it with us. And we remember that Jesus is always with us as we go. That's the final word, the promise of Jesus. He says this, Remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This makes a lovely bookend, actually, with the Gospel of Matthew because the, the book of, of Matthew, it begins with an angel visiting Joseph. Uh, Mary's pregnant. Joseph needs a little encouraging word. <laughs> so it's different from Luke's version where the angel visits Mary. In Matthew, the angel visits Joseph. And the angel informs Joseph sa- saying, uh, she's going to have a baby And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And here's now Jesus, the very last line, saying, I'm Emmanuel. I'm with you always. I am with you, Jesus says. I am with you. I'm sending you. And I am with you. Take heart. Do not fear. Do not worry. Give away your life. If someone mistreats you, turn the other cheek. Go feed them. Take on my gentle and humble way. I am with you. Go make disciples. That's it, friends. That's what we receive today. We can look back and engage in that honest assessment, but we can also look forward and say, wow, we have gifts. How can we share them? So that's the question for each of us. I want to ask us individually and collectively, how are we going to share the gifts of God How are we giving away what Jesus has called us? What Jesus has given us? 
we can think about this individually, right? In, in just different spheres of our lives, our families, our friends, our workplaces, if we're in school, at school. We can think about this collectively. How are we, sanctuary, called to give away what God has given us and entrusted us with? I just want to take a moment and bring that before God in prayer, that we might hear God speak to us and see if there's any fresh vision or insight for each of us. Let's take a moment to pray. God with us. We hear your invitation, your call to go and to teach and to make disciples. And so help us, God, open up our eyes. How are you inviting each one of us to engage in that practice? How are you inviting our whole community to engage in that collectively? Help us to hear from you.